At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greg Peterson here, and I want to thank you for listening to the Urban Farm Podcast. We wouldn't be able to keep doing these great shows without you. So as a token of my appreciation, I'd like to offer you access to a list of our top 10 episodes I personally find most inspiring. If you enjoy the Urban Farm Podcast, but don't have time to listen to everyone, then you will love this list. Although all our guests have great information to offer, if you are short on time, these 10 are must-listens. To get access to the top 10 most inspiring podcast episodes, text FARMER to 44222. That's FARMER to 44222. And enjoy listening. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Alastair Monk of Motorleaf to talk about the future of indoor agriculture. Alistair, or Ali, is the CEO and co-founder of Motorleaf, which created the first wireless automated indoor growing system. A native of the UK, Ali has lived and worked in North America since 1999. He has a history of success within the technology sector, providing his three children, wife, and husky dog, Shadow, a rich life filled with nature and opportunity. Ali loves to keep it simple, and he says he wakes up each morning feeling hungry. Hungry for company growth, hungry for new product features, and hungry for new happy customers. Welcome to the show today, Ali. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Yes, sure. Um, we're still a relatively young company, so it's not too hard for me to remember. Um, <laughs> The, uh, the the short version of the story is that uh, where both the co-founder, uh, myself and Raman live, is a very sort of agricultural small town in the eastern townships of uh, of Quebec in Canada, uh-huh. and we were sharing a sharing a co-working space. And one day Raman comes into the the co-working space and he's got a big box of electronics and wires and he's doing all this stuff, and putting things together. And I was really curious as to what he was doing, and he grows you know vegetables at home and he said he was so fed up of not being able to leave for any extended period of time with his wife and kids because uh-huh. uh, when he when he does you know things go wrong and, and what have you so he said I, I went shopping online and i wanted to find a solution a little bit like a connected home kind of system but for my you know growing equipment couldn't find one he has a, a background in agricultural engineering so he started putting the first prototype together wow he showed he showed me what it did he was very proud of it, rightly so, 
I come from more of a sort of sales marketing background. I looked at the interface and sort of shuddered because it was, in my opinion, horribly ugly. But it worked. Uh -huh. He loves. He loved it because he's a tech guy. So you know, right. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what it looks like as long as it works. Yes. Um, and uh, we started playing around with it. I understood because I used to grow when I was at university um, as well. And basically, we looked at each other and said, "Yeah, we we think that this is this is great, but how do we bring it to market?" And back then we didn't have a clue what we were doing in the sense of bringing brand new hardware to market oh, yeah. you know, fairly complex. Uh, and we just went at it and we, we figured it out. And very luckily for us, we met up with a, a guy from AgFunder, Mike Betts, Director of Investments in Vegas, and had a chat with him. He really validated what we were doing and encouraged us to really, you know, to start a company and get it done. And we applied for a, um, a place in a Montreal accelerator program for startups called Founder Fuel, mm -hmm. and at that, and this is only you know three or four months after we first sort of started playing around with the prototype together. This is back in around February, April of 2016, and we wow. got into the program right away. It gave us enough money just to quit our consulting jobs that we both had, uh, enough to live on a little bit, and. From that point forward, you know, we really just got a lot of support from people who kind of fell in love with the, the concept and the idea, which then, you know, got us to be investment ready. And I'm very happy to say that, you know, pretty recently we just closed a, a nice uh, a nice seed round of funding that has enabled us to build a team of full-time employees and, and really now start uh, working as a, as a real company. Nice. Well, I, I have to call you out on a couple of things. You guys met in a co-working space less than a year ago? Yeah, well, we, we knew each other um, sort of casually. Our kids go to the same yeah. school. We, uh -huh. we, we play sports together. So, you know, I, I regarded Raman as a friend before a business partner. But, but the actual from let's do this to now having, you know, a whole bunch of people that rely on, rely on us to, you know, to pay them uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> has, been a, has been a very, very quick, uh, wow. quick journey. That's, for sure. That's epic. Yeah. That is truly epic that you that you met in a co-working space and that you've brought it to, you know, to fruition in a, basically a year. Yeah, we haven't slept very much. <laughs> oh, yes, I know that. Entrepreneur for 40 years. I've been an entrepreneur for 40 years and in the startup and creation mode, it's like a 24-7 job. I hear you. I hear you. So tell us about what this product does. Sure. So... The, the overarching goal of what we're doing is to lower the barrier to entry so that anyone can grow crops um, more efficiently and to stretch that vision as far as we possibly could. As an example, I've got um, three kids. One of them's 16, the other is uh, seven and eight. And I think that my eight-year-old should be able to automatically grow, for example, strawberries, which she loves, and right now, I'm fairly confident that she could use our software with a little bit of assistance, and she could do it right now. But what I want her to be able to do is to use our software and for the software to really guide her every step of the way and make it almost, you know, I won't say idiot-proof because that would be a bit demeaning to her, but, you know, almost as easy as if uh, she was just grabbing my iPad and, and getting access to a game that she can help herself to. So that's the sort of long-term vision of what we're doing and how we're doing it in incremental steps is first and foremost, connect our hardware 
to pretty much any type of growing equipment that anyone would likely have. So let's just use a few examples. You have fans and heaters and humidifiers and dehumidifiers and lights and feeder pumps, all the usual suspects that are in a, a growing environment. Right. All of those things, all those things have to be turned on and off. Some people do it manually. Some people put them on basic timers. But they're not, generally speaking, all connected into one sort of master system. And that's what we do. We turn an indoor garden into a smart connected garden. So the first step is to, to monitor through our sensors, which are part of our hardware, what's going on. So environmental, right. you know, things like air temperature, humidity, light mm -hmm. levels, etc. Also things that are what we would call, you know, wet um, wet sensors, so things that go in the uh, reservoir tank, so your t uh, a TDS level, your pH level, your water level, your water temperature, things mm -hmm. like that. Right. So mon monitoring first, then automation, i.e. turning things on and off based upon what the sensors are saying is going on and what you think is the best range. So example, turn on my water chiller when my water temperature has gone too high, as an example. And then what we're really doing behind the scenes is um, we've hired a whole bunch of people who are from an artificial intelligence and machine learning background to use that data and then start predicting what it is that the crops need before they need it. Whoa. So we, so we can stop problems actually happening because, you know, plants speak to us every single day oh, yeah. through, their, through their data. It's just that until very recently, we haven't really been able to listen to them particularly well. So right. just to throw a couple of things out there, because... AI is a little bit of a scary topic for some people because they think that, you know, it's going to take over the world and we're not going to have any jobs left, whatever. But right. we, look, we look at it this way. It's a, it's a fantastic tool to give you back more time to focus on other parts of growing crops that are being taken away from you because you're doing so much stuff manually. And, you know, so the definition of AI where we come from in Montreal, which is a big hub for AI, is that it does the things that a human is already doing but more efficiently in such a way that a human probably couldn't do by themselves. So as an example, every four seconds, we're taking measurements of your pH and your uh, nutrient level, your TDS. Now, a human probably could do it every four seconds, but in reality, <laughs> in reality you're not going to have much of a life if you do that, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Taking, Especially taking the 24-7 part. part, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then the machine learning is to take that data and start thinking about what does it mean that we now have that data? How can we predict by learning what's happening, some patterns, prediction analysis comes in, et cetera. So that's where the lowering of uh, uh, barrier to entry comes from because we feel that the more we know how to grow, the more we can predict how to grow, the easier it becomes for everyone. Yeah. And that, that applies to professionals as well as you know, hobby uh, farmers as well. Yeah, and backyard people as well. Yeah. Wow. So I, I, as you were sharing that, I had this memory about, oh my gosh, I'm going to say about 15 years ago, I had some temperature sensors that I put throughout my yard. And back then, that was like the top of the heap for technology. You know, it would just, it had four channels on it. And I could anytime check, um, you know, what the temperatures were throughout my yard. Unfortunately, there was no way to collect that data over time. It just, it was just a real time analysis of it. So, and back then I was thinking, oh my gosh, I wish there was something. And that's what you guys have created here a decade or so later. Yeah. And to take it sort of a little bit further, um, and I have to be somewhat careful how I 
talk about this because I know that there's some there's some patents and all that kind of good stuff in the in the background of what we're doing that are being filed as I speak. But logically, if somebody is growing food, then we know that the way in which you have grown that crop can alter, as an example, the the, the yield or the yep. taste of the crop. Yeah, right? absolutely. And really, most people are experimenting with you know, what it takes to adjust the flavor or adjust the look of a crop or the weight of a crop, which is fine. That's good. Everyone should be doing that kind of stuff. Right. But imagine, but imagine if you can look back and have a very, very cool, interactive, super intuitive visual of exactly what you've been doing for that crop cycle through data analysis, uh -huh. through visual analysis, and not only can you look back on it, you can replicate it right. if you think it was, a, it was a good growth. Because the way that you replicate something is to give it exactly the same conditions, which again, doesn't just mean you set it and forget it. It means that you, you set it as to the parameters that you, you, you used before. Right. But of course, it, it's a dynamic environment. So perhaps the machine learning and the AI will just tweak it a little bit just to improve it just that little bit more. And that's really the, the aim of what we're doing is to, to get to that stage. You know? Yeah, this is, this, this is an epic idea you guys have here. I'm very excited about this. So how do you think the in, indoor ag is going to change going in the future? And then the second question on this is, how is this going to help? Well, um, as a general statement, I think it's fair to say because most of the world's population is centered around cities, the mm -hmm. idea of a farm farming outside and then shipping it or trucking it or possibly even flying it into these areas where we live is just complete madness. And, and that has to change. <laughs> I love that you said that. Yes. Um, I think nobody needs to be sold on the fact that most of the good arable land has already been taken. Mm -hmm. So it's a no brainer that indoor growing is going to need to continue to evolve and really, really fast. To do that, you need mass adoption. To do that, you yeah. need to lower the barrier of entry because it is, it is a very, you know, it's a skill set that isn't just something you can pick up a book and go, oh, I know how to provide food for my family or my mm -hmm. community. It's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to do. Right. But not, not because it's just difficult, it's because technology hasn't kept up with this industry as much as it has in many others. So I'll give you a quick analogy of how I see the future. Very, very simply, hundreds of years ago, there were many, many jobs for people driving, let's just say, a horse and a cart, and that was a job, or renting a room in a tavern, right? Hundreds of years, people have been doing that. You look at today, everyone can be a taxi driver with Uber. All right. everyone, can be, everyone can rent a room through Airbnb. Why are we not saying everyone can be a farmer? It's only because you don't have the technology to make that very easy. And that's what we want to do. So, yeah, we're going to work with big commercial growers. Yes, we're going to work with urban farmers. But ultimately, in the future, if I buy a house and I'm choosing a fridge, a microwave, an oven, I'll choose a unit that's going to grow my food. Yeah. I will. I have to tell well, you. I have to tell you, I am literally over here doing a happy dance. When you say, why can't everybody be a farmer? It's like, that's what I say. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm dancing. It's like, yeah, and Janice is laughing at me. And it's like, wow. I didn't expect, when I, when I found you guys online, I didn't expect it to be this epic. So I'm, 
I'm very, very excited. So thank you for that. Ah, no worries. It's, it, to us, it's so clear and so yeah. obvious. We, we maybe don't sound that excited about it because to us, that's just like what's going to happen. We've kind of accepted <laughs> it. and we're, <laughs> we're not, I mean, we are excited, but we're not like every day. You know, we, that's just normality. And I love the, the quote from, I think it was David Bowie, who said, the future belongs to those who see it coming. So oh, yeah. maybe, maybe we're in that group. You know, who knows? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, so you're a young company moving fast. What do you see in your space that you maybe weren't ex expecting to see so early in the journey? I think we were surprised how many um, companies are now, from an investment standpoint, waking up to the fact that mm. the, ag, the ag tech space is something that's been neglected. So there's, there's a big upswing in, in the amount of action going on in that space. Uh -huh. um, so that surprised us because we didn't even realize that there was that much investment going on. Um, I think we were also surprised as to how much collaboration there is. It's a very friendly space. I think the people who are connected to growing plants just by default must be patient and must be, you know, more leaning towards the, you know, having a wry sort of smile about things because there's always things that get screwed up when you're, you're in that yeah. space versus versus maybe a more corporate space that might be, I don't know, accounting or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But we're happy, we're happy to say that was a surprise that we've had a lot of great conversations with other companies that may look a little bit like a competitor to us, but ultimately we've all got the same goal to get mass adoption across the, right. the planet for people to, to grow their own food. So anything that helps is, is good, you know? Amen to that. I'll tell you, I've said for years that cooperation is the solution. Competition is what's really, I'd say, killing us. You know, it's killing business. And by, you know, connecting with people and cooperating, basically we have 7 billion people to feed on the planet. And when we're doing it effectively with good food, there might be some competition. Until then, we need to work together as a, in community to figure out how to make that happen. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. Yeah, one phrase that we kind of use internally is to, I guess, instead of just having like a way to grow using us, we want to be sort of device or grow method agnostic. So the idea is that we, we don't want to just sort of pin our, our hats to, to one particular group of people. We really want to try and help whether it's someone growing in something the size of a closet uh -huh. or acres and acres of greenhouse and everywhere in between. Like other people that we see in the space, sometimes like they try and build their own individual unit and it's kind of like buy my thing or there's nothing that I can do for you. Right. Whereas we, we want to work with whatever equipment you're using and sort of turn it into something better than it was before. So I think it's more collaborative and wow. I hope it's going to reach, reach more people that way. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it absolutely should. Absolutely. So we heard through the grapevine that you're going to be giving a TED talk soon. Congratulations, by the way. What are you going to talk about? <laughs> Yeah, um, we'll, we'll see how enthusiastic I am about that after I'm a bit stressed. Um, it, <laughs> I like yeah, it. I like your March. reaction, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be on March 18th in Montreal, and the, and the theme is zero to one. Um, so my talk is going to be more so about the idea of what Motorly is or became or will be and how that went from pretty much a, a casual conversation in a small town to hopefully now you know starting to to reach people well away from from where we started so. yeah cool so excited or scared yet 
Well, let me put it this way. When I did my Founder Fuel Demo Day presentation, that was the first time I did any real public speaking in front of 1,500 people in a theater. Oh, wow. And that was like a six-minute presentation. This thing's supposed to be 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> and it took an awful lot of practice to get my seven or six-minute one right. So I'm right. kind of pet petrified right now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did a TED Talk, a, oh, gosh, maybe a decade or so ago, and that was one of the things they really coached me is practice and practice and practice and know where you're going. So, yay. So, yeah, I might need, I need to, I might need to go away and hide have a, a whole bunch of staff and, and all kinds of other people that are very, uh, you know, enthusiastic to, <laughs> to right. take up my time. For. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So what advice would you give someone looking to start an indoor farm, either commercial or at home? I would say from what we've learned through the, the clients we have um, is try and keep it as simple as you possibly can and don't be afraid to test. I would say that there are a lot of good companies out there that sort of resell equipment that really do have the best interest of the customer at heart, meaning you know they're not just going to sell you the most expensive light in the showroom it's, mm -hmm. it's really about about your needs so i would always go for referrals from other growers as to who helps them make those right decisions just to get set up first and foremost and enjoy enjoy experimenting and this next bit of advice is obviously a bit um, skewed but i would definitely save a lot of time and and look into how you can monitor and automate what you're doing to give you more time to focus on the other parts of that experience that uh, shouldn't be taken up with very manual somewhat boring exercises like taking measurements and right and setting up timers and all that kind of stuff um yeah so keep it simple and find what you what you really really love doing and then maybe that's based upon a particular crop or a particular style of growing and then tweak it as you go like a good yeah. just like any good recipe right everyone has a favorite dessert they can make it's like the basis and then you always tweak it a little bit and add in some other flavors or other ways to fancy it up a bit, but you always kind of stick to that same good recipe at the heart of it. Right. Right. Exactly. So you guys are doing a Kickstarter right now. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. What we're doing, um, most people do Kickstarters because they need to raise money to build the product. We're sort of actually the opposite. We raised, you know, private capital. We're shipping products already, but we really wanted to use the Kickstarter platform as just a, a way to offer a big, big discount to a, you know, a, a core group of fans, if you like, that have been with uh -huh. us for, for a while. So um, that is, by the time this goes out to people, I think it will be coming to an end. So those are the best prices we'll ever offer. I would recommend all of your listeners jump on and, and grab some units while they have that crazy low price. And then, you know, we'll, uh, we'll take it from there. Nice. Nice. And so where do we find that at? Um, if you just go to kickstarter.com and search for Motorleaf, it will pop up. Perfect. So I'm going to ask you to kind of dig into your memory banks about something cool or epic that happened over the past year and share it. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but I, I just have a sense that there's something that is just really cool that happened. A lot of cool things. On a personal level, walking into my or our um, office, so for me, it's the first time that I've literally had a set of keys in my hand, open the door, and that's the, the office space that is going to be our, our company's headquarters. So that was, for me personally, a big moment, plus the fact I was surrounded by staff whose 
salaries we're paying. So that was really a nice feeling. <laughs> yeah. Actually, also on that note, I'd say Epic, um, when you look at the, the sort of background of our team, over half of our team are quote unquote immigrants, which in, includes me mm-hmm. to Canada, you know, backgrounds from uh, the UK, Philippines, uh, North Africa, um, Armenia, for example. And it was just really, really nice to to know that the work that we're doing is obviously helping people who are growing indoors, but it's also providing people from all kinds of different countries and backgrounds to to work together as a group. And just that alone was a, a nice feeling. Oh, yeah. And we also won the IBM Smart Camp competition for Montreal. So we're going to California in April to represent ag tech uh, in a sort of big pitch competition thing. So that wow. was a bit of a feather in our cap. Wow. So for those of us listeners out there that don't really know the magnitude of what you just said, tell it, tell us, cause you know, I, I've been self-employed for over 40 years now and what you guys have created, it's really cool and you're doing great work and you've made some great strides like this IBM thing. So tell us, tell us really what that means. Well, for us, it's, it's a more of a spotlight. So there are all kinds of different companies that you know, get to, to do this and, and win, over, not say beat other companies, but for whatever reason were chosen over yeah. other companies. So it helps, it helps shine a spotlight on our industry, whereas there are many other industries that already have a huge spotlight on them, whether it's, you know, financial technology or educational technology or whatever. Um, so that's, that's a big thing. And the way I look at it is it's not because of our team necessarily or our idea it's just like we're, it's almost like we're walking around carrying this idea and we're just kind of showing it around to people and the more people we can show it to the more support we get so the more people kind of come behind us and start carrying it as well and showing more people so yeah. it kind of has a it kind of has a life of its own really it's just that we were the first people maybe to, to start pushing it and then it just yeah. became quicker and quicker you know yay how cool is that? Well, congratulations. As you can tell, I'm excited about it. So uh, if I'm excited about it, I'm sure there's people out there that are also just ecstatic, especially everybody on your team, huh? Yeah, we're pretty, we're a pretty happy bunch. Cool. <laughs> so I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Uh, yeah, so I can pinpoint one very easy one one of our first customers was you know like a beta customer super excited couldn't wait to get the product we'd done a 3d printed you know case for the the unit that we shipped them (laughs) shipped it to california thought we'd packed it really well Uh and they sent us a picture of the box that looked like the ups driver just jumped on it uh-huh. And, you know, absolutely nothing worked. And it was like our biggest, like, ta-da moment. We're going to have, you know, our client go online. We're going to do a screen share. We're going to make sure everything's working. And they were all happy. We were all happy. And then it was just a complete and utter disaster. Um, so that was a fairly good failure to learn from. Pack your stuff better in boxes. Yeah. Don't use a 3D printed box anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so that's, that's a pretty easy one to, to, to look at. Yeah, I, I think... And also, we had also set out with some features in mind for the software that we were very excited about. And I think we had over-assumed our own ability to, to know exactly what our clients wanted. So uh-huh. a, big failure, a big failure was not speaking to enough growers before we released our next version of the software. So now they very much are involved in that sort of decision-making process as to 
Excellent. what should be next, what's going to be used the most, etc. So that sort of put us back in our place. Yeah, excellent, excellent, excellent. So what do you consider your biggest success? Uh, I, for me personally, I'd, I'd say if you were to go back in time and say those guys in that town of 4,000 people with no startup culture, no technology, you know, um, landscape where they live, those are the guys that are going to bring this product to market and get, you know, millions of dollars of funding and have a team of people full time in under a year. I bet you wouldn't have put money on us. And mm. there were a few people that I know didn't put money on us. Yeah. And I, and I feel like we beat so many odds. It, it's not just through hard work. There's a lot of luck involved as well. So I think our biggest accomplishment is just being here right now, to be honest. Yeah. So I, as you were sharing this, I, I had this thought that I wanted you to explain a little further. So what you have here is a product that is software based. So is it an app? Uh, it actually isn't. And there's a couple of reasons why it, it works on any wireless device. So iPad, MacBook, you know, laptop, yep. tablet, ah. tab, tablet, whatever, because people who only have apps, you have to always be online. Your unit has to always be connected to the internet. Ours works offline and online. Ah. So as long as you've got a router connected in your space, you don't even need to be connected to the internet. It's still going to be able to push that software into your phone or your laptop or whatever it is. So nice. no app needed. Works online and offline. Any wireless connected device, it has an operating system that you can, that you can use. Perfect. And then, then there's a piece of hardware that it all connects into. Yeah, at the moment we've got four different pieces of hardware. There's a fifth that's coming out fairly soon and a top secret sixth one that will be along a little bit later. But yeah, they all speak wirelessly to, to each other and the bigger the space you want to automate, you just add on more units and it kind of scales out oh. uh, from there. Nice. So it'd be a bit of infinitely scalable going on. Yes, exactly. Nice, nice. So what drives you? my wife when I'm really tired. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Um, um, what drives me? Um, I make a really terrible employee, to be honest with you. So <laughs> I, if, if, oh, yeah. If I, if I wasn't a founder, I would be a frustrated employee. Yeah. So I, I, somebody asked me this the other day. I gave a talk uh, about uh, how to present your, your startup and somebody asked me that same sort of question. And really, it's like the only way I can sort of phrase it is like my wife for example you know was really really determined to have a baby at x point in her life and i think with without me that was going to happen right so right. she had that real need inside of her um and i feel the same way about being an entrepreneur it, it's not something that you just someday say you know what i think i might be interested in it i think mm -hmm. you you know in you that you're just made that way yeah. so it's which can be really annoying at times because maybe you you would prefer to have a more secure, simple nine to five <laughs> existence, you know, but maybe you just oh, don't yeah. fit into that, uh, into that bucket. Yeah. Yeah. I've had somewhere around 30 businesses. Some of them, some of them lasted a, I tell people a sneeze and I had one that was 22 years old when I sold it. So, um, I completely understand that. And I am, I too am unemployable. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, Janice is sitting here in the background, shaking her head emphatically. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm all about education, and I have to know, is there a book that's been influential for you in this process in your life? <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, 
there's well, I do read quite a lot of books, but the one that's the easiest just to pick up and sort of make you put things into perspective is a book by A. A. Milne, M. I. L. N. E., which is the Winnie the Pooh quotes. Oh. So he he has a pretty chilled out and uh, in my mind a reasonable outlook on life. So if you ever are having a tough day or you know whatever's happened has happened, you can just pick that book up and. He's quite philosophical. There's one in particular I can think of. He says, um, it's more fun to talk with someone who doesn't use long, difficult words, but rather short, easy words, like, what about lunch? <laughs> exactly. So, so I, I try and use some of his wisdom in managing with the daily uh, challenges of a, a technology company that's doing hardware and software. Which yeah, I try to do exactly. A, a crazy amount. So. Yeah. So I, the company that I ran for 22 years was a software company. And I can't imagine having to put the hardware on top of that as well. Um, it seems like that having both of those to deal with is almost like running two businesses. It, it feels like probably four, to be mm, honest with you. But yeah. yeah, I think I remember having a conversation with my co-founder back in the like very beginnings of even thinking about trying to do this. And I think one of us may have said, how hard can it be in a very, <laughs> very naive way? Yeah. And I look back on that now and go, if we knew how hard it would be, I honestly don't think that we would have said, okay, we'll, we'll let's, let's opt into that. You know, yeah. I don't think we would have done, but now it's too late. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're into it and you can't stop. That's it. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I would say one jump on the Kickstarter and grab some super duper hardware and software wow. for the lowest price it's ever going to be. Perfect. Two, even if, even if you're not ready, give us a call. We're happy to speak to anyone who's got questions. Um, and three, I would say whatever you've learned regarding indoor farming, urban farming, how many people have you shared it with on a mm. weekly, monthly basis? Because mm -hmm. the more people that do it, show interest in it, the easier it's going to become for everybody. So if you if you believe in it, then I'm not saying you should be knocking on people's doors randomly and shouting about it. But you know, I think keep track of how many people that you interact with you could offer some advice to, or show what you're doing, or just share it. Just yeah. share what you're doing. Yeah. Amen to that. I'll tell you, I do that every day. In fact, that's the reason I do the podcast is to you know, get people thinking about this. Cause I believe that one of the most important things that we need to learn as a culture is how to grow your own food. Yes. Well, we, we used to be able to, right. I don't think it was, it wasn't even that long ago that most families would, would have some form of food that they would, you know, whether they were fishing it or whether they were, you know, planting it and, and, mm -hmm. and take, taking it out of the earth. Most families could do that not that long ago. And it's probably one of the most important and satisfying skills to mm -hmm. have, you know, yeah. So it would be crazy not to try and get everyone to do it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Ali. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. No worries. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for all the uh, the questions. I'm going to go and grab my Winnie the Pooh book and uh, look <laughs> up some more insights. Yeah. So how can our listeners get a hold of you and find out more about Motorleaf? Motorleaf.com. Contact us section. There's a toll-free number. There's a way to just uh, opt in for receiving information. We don't uh, overdo it, so you can just say, "Hey, I'm a hobby grower or a commercial grower," and and we can keep in contact that way, or just give us a call. 
Cool. If you want to email me, email me directly. I'm always happy to get any feedback, uh, questions. So my email address is my last name, monk, M-O-N-K, at motorleaf.com. Perfect. And then go to Kickstarter and look up Motorleaf and jump in there as well. Yes, definitely. Perfect. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash Motorleaf. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Greg Peterson here, and I want to thank you for listening to the Urban Farm Podcast. We wouldn't be able to keep doing these great shows without you. So as a token of my appreciation, I'd like to offer you access to a list of our top 10 episodes I personally find most inspiring. If you enjoy the Urban Farm Podcast, but don't have time to listen to everyone, then you will love this list. Although all our guests have great information to offer, if you are short on time, these 10 are must-listens. To get access to the top 10 most inspiring podcast episodes, text FARMER to 44222. That's FARMER to 44222. And enjoy listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, Head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.